Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit Podcast. Challenge you to go to baptistpulpit.com. Look up some of the resources. We have other podcasts that are available from other men. We also feature one, myself, called The Baptist Vices. I think you'd enjoy that. We have authors, an author section, and you can go there and it'll take you to the website. Prayerfully, it can be a help to you. Our featured speaker for this week on the Baptist pulpit is Dr. Roy Thompson. He was born in 1933 and passed away in June of 2010. He was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, raised in Dayton, Ohio, mostly in rundown hotels and sometimes even on the streets. Uh, He told the Plain Dealer, which was the Cleveland, Ohio paper, that his alcoholic father deserted the family. At 14, Dr. Thompson stole his big brother's wallet, used a driver's license to join the army. He wrote his mother and broke the news, and she turned him in. The army imprisoned him for three months and then sent him home. He later ended up uh, joining his sister, who lived in Akron, Ohio, and she brought him to a revival. And there he was saved, and he felt the call to preach. When Dr. Thompson became of the right age, he did join the army. They drafted him, and he was shipped to Germany. He memorized the whole Gospel of John and route, and he preached it on arrival. After his dis- discharge, he w- went to Baptist Bible College in Missouri, and he graduated first in his class. He then moved to Cleveland, and in 1958, he worked to start Cleveland Baptist Church. He championed all kinds of causes. One of them was just being true to the Word of God. He said this in 1995, Mankind has a hollowness inside without spiritual values. We've gone to the nth degree in every area, entertainment, pleasure, and politics. And we've found that there is little to help fill the void. Only Christ can fill that void. Pray that you enjoy the preaching of the Word of God by Dr. Roy Thompson today. Chapter 3 tonight. I think we'll cover about uh, six or seven verses beginning at verse 4 in chapter 3. Verse 4, chapter 3. You remember we closed our last message talking about the hope of the second coming of Christ and how as a believer living in this sinful flesh, we, uh, we have victory and cleansing power just thinking about his coming, having this hope within us, and looking and longing for his coming will cause us to live a more pure life in this present world. Now these uh, verses, at least some of these verses in the next portion of Scripture, 
are very troublesome to some. And I do not say that, that I am the only one that has the answer or even that I do have the answer. It's something you have to decide for yourself. We've never tried to tell you that everything that we say or every interpretation that we have is 100% correct. You're supposed to learn things for yourself. The same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you. And the Word of God is the same for you as it is for me. And you can learn from God's Word. We, we need to be taught and we need to study, but God will give you what you need from His Word just as well. I do want to try to explain as best I can. I, it is not a particularly troubling portion of Scripture to me. Now, I can understand there are, there are some portions of Scripture that I honestly tell you when people ask me, I, I have to say I'm not quite sure. And don't let that plague you because I hope I've never painted myself as being infallible or knowing all there is to know. Uh, there are so many things in the Bible that I don't know that, that I'm concerned, and that's why I, I keep studying. But there are some scriptures I think that people make problematic that are not. And the first thing you should always do when you come to a verse scripture you don't understand is try to take it at face value. What is it saying? Who's it saying it to? What does it mean? Just take it as simply as you possibly can, and that's what I want to do with these tonight. Now, in verse 4, <clears throat> we, have a, we have a definition of sin. Now, we're talking about knowing about sin. We're, this, is our, this is our key phrase for the book of 1 John in our study this time around, what was gaining knowledge. So we're going to know about sin. Now, you don't have to experience something to know about it. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we have, we, we learned in... Uh, Back in chapter 1, we learned that we have all sinned, and we learned uh, that we still have sin in our bodies and in our nature, even though we're saved. And if you'll keep that in mind, that will help you to understand these verses, that we have sinned, we are sinners, and we still have sin in our body. Now, that's going to that's gonna help you understand it seems like a contradiction, somebody will help you understand it. Now here's the definition in verse 4. Whosoever, uh, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Now that's talking about God's law, not talking about man's law. There are times when it would be a sin to obey man's law. There are times when we must disobey man's law by conscience. If the United States of America, or our city, or our state, or our government, would pass a law that is in direct contradiction to what God tells me to do, and, and they tell me I must do that, I must refuse to do it. I must break the law. I must resist the law if that is a bad law, and if it's a law against the Bible. It's something we've had freedom to do in our country, and have done uh, over its 200-year history on numerous occasions. You, you remember back, if you're a casual student of history, and we went through a period of time in our country when slavery was legal. And yet there were, there were many in this country that were Christians at that time that were helping slaves escape their masters and were harboring them and hiding them and helping them, if, if not here, to get them to Canada or someplace else. They were breaking the law in doing so. And they were doing right by breaking the law. In my estimation, I think we look back on it now and we say yes, that was the right thing to do. And so, this is not talking about trans. Now, it can be, you know, we have laws that kind of say you can't steal. And that's a sin to steal. 
It's not a sin to steal because men pass the law. It's a sin to steal because God says thou shalt not steal. So the sin, the, the transgression of the law that John is talking about is a transgression of God's law. That's what sin is. It's a transgression of God's law. Now, he says in verse 5, we know that he was manifest. There's that word know, knowledge, knowing, a form of that word. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sin. Now, here's something we know. There's no, there's no debatable argument here of any, of any sort. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins. That's why Jesus Christ came to this world was to take away our sins. We could not do it, and no one else could do it, so he was manifested. He came forth to this earth to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Now, those are things we know. It's not hard to explain that verse. Not difficult to understand that verse. Jesus Christ came to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He couldn't have taken away my sins if he had sin of, sin of his own. The reason that he was a sacrifice acceptable unto God was that in him was no sin. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Now, verse 6 is where we say we'll run into a, a little problem, and verse 9. So I think I'm going to take those two verses. I'm going to skip 6, and when I get down to 9, I'll go back to it and put them together, if we may. In verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And, and there's a, righteousness, a big word, but it's not a difficult word. Uh, theologically or any other way, it just means to do right. That's all it means. It means if God gives the law, you obey the law, you're doing right. That's righteousness. It means if God gives the law and you break the law, you're doing wrong, and that's unrighteousness. It's as simple as that. Unrighteousness, sin, uh, breaking the law, so on. But here he says now, uh, he that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. That's where we show to our fellow men and to the world that we have been saved by God's grace is we have the same pattern of life that he had. We want to do right. I want to do right because it shows that we are righteous. Not self-righteous, but that we're doing right and we have the power within us to, to do right because of Christ. And by doing that, we are showing forth and exhibiting our Christianity. Now, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Now, here's this, uh, here's this battle that we got going on. Uh, I hope you understand that. I, I think a lot of young Christians don't, and I, I think a lot of times because they don't, we, uh, we see so many of them sliding back into old ways because they don't understand the new nature and the old nature. And we're not going to understand this section of scriptures unless we realize that we are a two-natured person. If you're unsaved tonight, you're just simply unsaved. You're a, you're a child of the devil. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. You have no relationship with God. Your, your only relationship with God is he's creator and your creature. But you do not belong to God's family. You belong to the family of the disobedient and the unrighteous 
You, you are captivated by sin. You are manipulated by sin. You are dominated by sin. You have no control over yourself. You belong to the devil. Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews, you are of your father the devil, unless your father you'll do. He was a murderer from the beginning, a liar from the beginning. He's the father of it. And so here John says, he that committed sins of the devil. When I sin, I show my old nature. Now you've got to understand verse 9 and verse 6 if you realize it. When I sin, I show my old nature. When I do right, I show my new nature. When I do wrong, it's the old man. The Bible talks about the old man. When I do right, it's the new man. I have a new nature in me which simply, beloved, cannot sin. It was impossible, and you can argue it, we argued theologically for four years while I was in college and never came to any conclusions, and, and, and theologians who like to just sit around and waste their time and talk about it have argued about it for centuries of time. Could Jesus sin? If he could sin... If he could not sin, then how could he be tempted? I don't know. I confess to you, I don't understand that. We talk about the impeccability of Christ. I know that he was God in the flesh. And I know he did not sin. I know in him was no sin. And I know that this new nature is the same as he is. It's the same kind of nature that he possesses as God. And in this new nature... It's just as impossible for the new man in me to sin as it was for Jesus to sin when he was here. I cannot, it says, underscore that now in verse 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. And he cannot sin. Not talking about sinless perfection at all. If you wanted a glaring contradiction, brother, that would be it. Here's John the same author of this book in chapter 1 saying, if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. If you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar. And now in this chapter he's saying that if you're born of God, you cannot sin. I mean, that would be a contradiction. Except that I'm a two-natured person. When I was born again, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, he implanted a new nature in me which is incapable of sin, which cannot sin. The old nature, the flesh that we talk about so often, that's what sins. That's what does wrong. The new man never whispers to my flesh, hey, come on, do that and enjoy it. The new man never says, the new man always says, no, don't do it. No, there's trouble if you do it. No, there's bad results if you do it. No, it's wrong to do it. No, God doesn't want you to do it. No, you should not do it. That's the new man. The old man says, do it and enjoy it. Do what you want. Please yourself. That's the two natures that I'm in. And, and from the day I got saved till the day I die or Jesus takes me home, I'll have that battle. I'll fight that battle. As someone said, well, which one's going to win? It's the one you feed the most, you see. It's the one you feed the most. If you feed the old man all the time, if all we get is here, if all we get is a, a devotion once in a while, if all we feed our mind, you know, one of the biggest problems we have 
you well know it's like with our bus kids. We have them for an hour on Sunday, or an hour and a half, or an hour and 45 minutes. And at home, they get, I'm not, not all of them, I can't say that all of them, but I mean the large majority of the kind of homes they come from, they never get anything at home. All we, when they leave, when they go back to their house on Sunday afternoon, even though they may have been saved here, they go back to their house Sunday afternoon. The only time they hear the name Jesus Christ is when somebody blasphemes it. The only time they hear about God is when somebody curses his name. The, the, only, the only kind of stories you humor they hear is vulgarities. And, and they live in that atmosphere all that week, and then maybe till the next Sunday come back and hear about the Lord Jesus. Well, you know, you can't expect very much out of a young person like that, even though he may be saved and have a new nature. He's got this old nature, and, and, and for, six, for six days and nights and, and 22 hours of the other day and night, he's hearing everything contrary to that, and he's feeding the old nature. And just here, maybe, just a little bit, he gets a little taste and a little, a little knowledge and a little training in what the new nature is. Well, you, some of us are almost as bad. I mean, you know that people, you know that people come to church Sunday morning, that's all they come to church. That's about all they're getting. They don't, they don't feed, they don't feed the new man the rest of the time. It's television, pleasure, visitation, work, whatever you have. It's something else. It, it's to feed the flesh. The flesh needs to be fed, of course, but it's to feed the flesh, but it's to feed the old man. It's to feed the natural man. The natural man, not the spiritual man. The Bible has a lot of terms for it. It's the old man, the new man, the old nature, the new nature, the, na the natural man and the spiritual man. I've got both of these. It's like, it's, it's, it's like tearing apart sometimes. Read uh, Romans 6 and 7 and see what Paul's talking about. He had the same problem. Paul had the same problem I have. Paul had the same problem you have. These men in the Bible weren't any different than us. These women in the Bible were no different than women today. They had temptations back then, like we have temptations today. They fought the battle then as we fight the battle today. They had two natures then, like we have two natures today. It's done something new with God. But here we find in verse 9 that God says, if you're born of God, and, and, and turn to chapter 5 here, just, just a moment to simply uh, verify this. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's simply that. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Did you notice in our Bible comparisons last week, or a week ago Sunday, how many times the name Christ was omitted from those scriptures? Uh, the name Christ. Christ is Messiah, the promised one. He, he is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Christ is, the title Christ. And they take Christ out, they take Lord out so many times out of the scriptures. But here it says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You, you can't, <laughs> hey, you can believe in the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses. That, that Jesus will never get you to heaven because that Jesus isn't God. He's not the Christ. He's not the, he's not the Messiah. He's not the, he's not the fulfilling one. When you accept Jesus as the Christ, when you believe Jesus is the Christ, he fulfills all the all the Old Testament prophecies. He came to die as the Lamb of God and so on. Then you're born of God. Now he says, go back to chapter 3. 
He says, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Chapter 1, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. It's a seeming contradiction, isn't it? The only way you can understand it, the only way it can make any sense, the only way that it's clearly revealed, for his seed remaineth in him. See, when God, when God bore me the second time, he planted that seed in my body, the new man, the spiritual man. If I do anything bad, Roy Thompson did it. If I do anything good, Jesus Christ did it. When I sin, it's me that does it. When I do righteous, it's Christ that liveth in me that does it. His, na his very nature is part of me. It's in me, the perfect nature, the sinless nature, the victorious nature. In him is no sin. And he is in me. His nature is in me. And because of that, I cannot sin. This new man cannot sin because he's born of God. See, my, my first birth was not of God. I mean, in the sense of the second one is my first birth was of my parents. There was relationship and conception. There was a seed, and it was a seed that carried with it the sin of Adam. That seed passed from generation to generation to generation, and it is a sinful seed. <clears throat> so I was conceived of my parents. My fleshly body, my old man, was conceived of my parents. My new man was conceived of the Word of God planted in my heart to produce faith that Jesus Christ came in his person and planted himself in me so that I cannot sin. That new man cannot sin. The old man does sin. The old man has a sinful nature. The old man has sinned. The old man will sin. The new man has not sinned. And the new man cannot sin. It's impossible for him to sin. So verse 6 is explained the same way when you put them together. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. If there is nothing but sin in your life, there's nothing but sin in your life, means you've never been saved. You do not know him. You do not abide in him. He does not abide in you. Therefore, you sin. Everything about you is sin. But when you get saved... Then there becomes that part of you, that new man implanted in you, that not only doesn't sin, but he cannot sin. Now there are a number of um, branches of Christianity, denominations, sects, call them what you want, that teach in sinless perfection. And what they mean by that, and what they teach by that, is that you can, in the flesh, become sinlessly perfect. And they take this verse to, to show that or to try to teach it. Now, folks, that's just, that's foolish, that's all. Now, you must remember, we, we read, I, I, I was, I sometimes get mixed up in First um, Peter chapter 1, and, um, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, and verse uh, 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. 
doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you individual doesn't mean that that I can't privately interpret the scripture. It means that it's wrong to privately interpret one verse of scripture. Because you you get yourself backed up against a wall when you do that. If you try to understand 1 John 3, 6 and 1 John 3, 9, just within themselves, you might come up with an interpretation like some of the, the, sinless, the sinless perfectionists do. Oh, well, my, that means I've got to strive for this time in my life that I will become sinlessly perfect. And, and no one's ever attained that. It's got to be one of the most discouraging, disgusting doctrines that's ever been propagated among mankind, that you can and you will eventually become sinlessly perfect because we have it and we won't and we don't and no one ever has. Now, you kind of understand it then when you compare it with the other scriptures. When you, when you know the revelation of God, it makes sense. The new man, the new nature, the old man, the old nature. And... He tells us in chapter 1, we have sinned in the past, we do sin now, don't deny that if we do the truth is in us, but here he says, we do not sin and we cannot sin, that's simply talking about that new man, that new nature, thank God. I'm so glad one day we'll be a one-natured person, <clears throat> because this Adamic nature will be cut off, that's what death and that's what translation is all about. When God, when God either brings me to the end of my life, Everything that I've ever done or can do or will do or am capable of doing of displeasing him will be done away with. It'll be done away with. It'll be erased. Be erased from memory and from being. I will have a new body that will have, if it has any blood, will have a new kind of blood, but it won't have this sinful blood. It will not have the elements that it has in it now that makes it crave for those things which are contrary to God. I will want to do what God wants me to do. I will do only those things that please him. It will be impossible for me to sin. I will be, I will be in his presence like him forever and ever. And that's the thing we ought to long for. Did you ever get disgusted with your flesh? <clears throat> Did you ever get disgusted with your life? <clears throat> I get disgusted with my life sometimes. I, I, sometimes just at the end of the day and look back on the stupid things that you do. And, and, and wicked things. Sometimes we, we're unkind even. And we're, uh, we make wrong decisions. We hurt somebody's feelings. We, we, uh, we let hatred take control of us. We, we do and say all kinds of foolish things. We think wrong thoughts. And we come to the end of the day and, my God is gracious to put up with me. Gracious to put up with me. And, and sometimes you get alone, you start to think about the Lord, and you say, I'll be glad when, when, that, when that half of me, that part of me, that, that old nature, that, that sinful Adamic flesh is just cut off and destroyed. And I'll just be with the Lord, and I'll, I'll delight in doing everything that he wants me to do, and only those things, and I will never displease him again. I will never break his law. I will never... I will never go against his plans again. I'll just always be in his presence. So we long for that. We long As this world fades out, if we don't long for it now, it'd be wonderful we could long for that when we're young. But you see, that's the flesh. 
when we're healthy, when we're young, when we're strong and vibrant and we have pleasure and we eat well and sleep well and do things well, everything's all right. <clears throat> but as we grow old and we lose the taste for those things, those things begin to go by and our bodies begin to weaken and, and grow old and then we long for the things that God has for us, perfection in his presence. Like him, I'll cast off this robe of flesh and rise to seize the everlasting prize. Thank God now, there is a part of me, there is a, I don't, I don't know that anyone can explain it, but there lives within this, within this house. The Bible calls this a house. What a, it's getting dilapidated, brother. And it talks about that. It talks about that. Best way to explain it. There's no better way to explain death to anybody than 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This house is growing old and weak and dilapidated. And I live on the inside. You know, I'm just as young as I ever was on the inside. In fact, one of the problems I have is, 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 is this mind making contracts my body can't fulfill all the time. Because I think I can run just as fast as I used to run. And I think I can work just as hard, and I can do this as long, and I can't. And I, even though I know that, I think I can because I'm young inside. There, there's a young man inside this old body trying to get out, and he'll get out someday. And the way you get out is you move out. That's the way you get out of a home. You know, there are people that are struggling in this city and other cities in America and around the world in, in shacks. And, and broke. I think some of the places my wife and I live in, one of the worst she ever stayed with me. I mean, we lived in some dumps. I mean, dumps. I mean, not fit for human beings to live, hardly. She always made a home out of it. But I mean, you think, will we ever get out of this place? Will we ever have a decent home? There are people who struggle and struggle and struggle all their lives. Some do, some don't. But how they'd like to move out, to move out. No, nah, not... Not to, I'm not talking about lavish palaces or mansions, just a nice place, a nice home, a clean home, a new home. They want to move out, and maybe that time comes, they work and labor for it. It's the American dream, and you get out of there and into your own home, see? And so you leave the past behind. Well, that's what this body is. This body is, is growing old, and uh, so many diseases, so many sicknesses, so many pains, so many aches. And what happens when God says... You've lived your life. And I believe with all of my heart. I can't explain, but I believe with all of my heart that there's a day, like, like God knew the day I was going to be born. The doctor didn't know when I was born. Now they make arrangements. I don't know about all this stuff being arrangements made and so on, but they didn't know the moment I'd be born, even the day. But I was, and they put it on my birth certificate. And the day I die, they'll put that on my death certificate. They don't know right now. But the day I die, they'll put the time and the date on my death certificate. God already knows that. He knew, he knew mine before I was born. He knew when I'd be born. He said, to, he said to Jeremiah, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew you. You were mine. You belonged to me. My spirit filled you in your mother's womb. John the Baptist and others. He knows us all. The very substance of our being according to the psalmist. God knows that. He knows the day of my birth, and he knows the day of my death. And the day of my death is when I'm going to move out. And it won't bother me. I hope you're around. Maybe you can watch me move out. I don't want to drag it out too long, but 
I'm going to say, hey, I'm going, I'll see you later. I'm gone. They talked about Mr. Moody. They talked about other people who have died. Died with their faith in Christ. Died because they had fed the new man so well that the old man didn't give him any fear when it came time to die. And the new man took control before they ever left the body. And they said, I'm gone. This is my coronation day. I'm leaving. I'm heading home. Be a wonderful time. Glorious time. Nothing to fear. Jesus took the fear out of death. He took the sting out of death. He took the darkness and lit a light and he'll be there to meet us. Nothing to fear. The old man be destroyed, move out of this body. And then God will give me another body. I mean, something like this. I don't know what it'll look like, but a body, a body of flesh. Job said, in my flesh I'll see God. Even though the worms feast on this flesh and this body is destroyed, in my flesh I'll see God. Can he give me a new body? And that body's going to be like his. What was his body like? In him was no sin. Now there's sin in me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. You know that most of you know that you're sensible enough to know that. That's why you overlook the weaknesses of the pastor like I overlook the weaknesses of the members. Because we know we're, we're flesh, Adamic flesh. I can, if I say I have not sinned, I make him a liar. If I say I have no sin, I deceive myself. But this new man doesn't have any because this new man is the nature of Christ. And it cannot sin. The seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. This body can sin because it was born of my father and mother. This new nature cannot sin because it was born of God. You see that? You understand that? I hope you see that. He that committeth sin, back to verse 8, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth in the beginning. I hate to admit that. That's my, that's my devilish nature. That's my sinful nature. That's, that's the nature I have. And it's there and it's still there. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. How does he destroy it? By coming in and giving me this new nature. And now, when I move out, the old nature is destroyed, the new nature conquers and goes to be with the Lord in a new body that is like unto his, which has no sin and cannot sin, even as it cannot sin now. But this new nature abides in a body that is sinning all the time and abides with a nature that is contrary to God, so that in my flesh I cannot please God. It's only by the new nature that God has put in me that I can have victory. And the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. My, he has stressed that, has he not? We'll close that verse, but hasn't he stressed that over and over and over again? <clears throat> and is it not, folks, something then that we need to that we need to really look at and apply to our hearts? It is so easy to be judgmental and fault finding and everything else. So easy. That's the easiest thing in the world. We we almost relish in it because it when we can find wrong in somebody else, it kind of makes us feel good. I can kind of excuse the wrong that's in me when I can find the wrong in somebody else. But you know, that kind of a spirit and that kind of an attitude does not help us to grow to love one another. We're to love one another in spite of all our... God loves me. 
Here I am living in this body of flesh, this body that sins, it's against God, with this new nature that does not and cannot, and yet God loves me in spite of that. He loves me in spite of that. When I was yet a sinner, he loved me, and he died for me. Can we not then, our own brothers and our own sisters in Christ, no matter what their condition may be, no matter how far from God they may stray, no matter how weak they may be, you know, we... We sometimes, I think as a pastor, I'm guilty of it too. We'd just like to have a church full of people that we'd like to have. We'd kind of like to pick them out. I, I, I think of some dear people in our church that have never rung my phone, that have never called on me for anything. I can think of others that if I had 100 members like that, I'd already be in the insane asylum. <clears throat> but I mean, it, it, it's something, you know, sometimes we just like to say, well, gee, I just... I just like to have a whole church full of members that just never bothered me, that I never had to fool with, that I could just sit around and study and preach and, and, and just kind of make a little job out of it, like some, like some people do, just make kind of a little career, you know, clock in, clock out, and that's the end of it. And, and sometimes we feel that way as members of the church. We just kind of like to have a church that we don't want any confrontation, we don't want any problems, we don't have any hard times, we want everybody to think well of us. You know, we're more concerned about, about what... You know, we, we preach to people, don't worry about what other people think. We're more concerned about what other people think about us than anything else. Oh, I, I, we, we just want, oh, just some nice people, some kind of middle class people, some kind of people aren't too smart, aren't too dumb, aren't too rich, aren't too poor, aren't too this and aren't too that. Just kind of fit into our mold and just have our little church and have our little group. We think that way sometimes. And because of that, we don't love people like we should. Because they don't meet our expectations. Because they don't pass our examination. Because they don't fit into our mold. We just kind of hold back and, and just don't really love them like we should. And, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't think God's love has anything to do with that. I don't have a bit to do with that. I'm going to think if God loves me, I ought to be able to live anybody, love anybody that's begotten of him. That's what he talks about. If you've been begotten of God, you ought to love anybody that's been begotten of God. You know, in a family, in a close family, in a family, a good family and a close family is one of the, the nearest things to what our relationship with God is. And family, boy, folks, let me tell you, family's important. And I don't, I don't care if you have five kids or ten kids or one kid or two kids, whatever it is. I mean, you have a bond there. You have a family bond there. No matter what they do, you love them. I mean, you, you don't approve of it. You, you, don't, you don't relish what they're doing sometimes, but in spite of all of it, you love them. And folks, it, it's the one thing, we go back to that time and time, it's the one thing that God says. By this one thing shall all men know you're my disciples, in that ye love one another. We've got, we've got to somehow or other stress that in our own minds and our own hearts. Uh, we're, we're going to sin. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I had a lady call me up just the other day. I was on the phone. She said, uh, do, people, do people go to heaven when they commit suicide? I said, well, if they're saved, yes. Now, that's a shocking statement. I said, yes, of course, if they're saved. And she didn't want to believe it. I don't know why she asked me, because she didn't want to believe it. And, and then we, you know, it was a little bit of a debate. There's really nothing to debate. I just said, well, if they committed some other kind of sin, would they not go to heaven? We don't go to heaven because we haven't sinned. We go to heaven because we realize we've sinned 
and ask Jesus Christ to take away our sin. That's why we go to heaven. I mean, I, it, it's a terrible thing. I'm not trying to teach people you're going to heaven, you commit suicide. We're in, a, we're in a mess here talking about this. Oh, I know what it was. She'd watched that television program the other day. This woman helped her mother commit suicide, you know. Don't ever help anybody do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Of course, if somebody's saved, they're going to that's uh, Somebody's saved, they're going to heaven. I don't care if they committed 10 million sins. They're going to heaven. If they're saved, they're going to heaven. That's all that matters. The grace of God, trusting Jesus Christ. Because in this flesh, we can commit all kinds of sin. But we're going to heaven if we're saved. But don't ever, don't ever tell anybody. Don't ever help anybody in that. But yes, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. That new man, that new nature cannot sin. That's the nature that's going. This old Roy Thompson isn't going to heaven. This old body isn't going to heaven. Nurtured by sinful blood and filled with sin, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to the ground. It's going to the grave. But the new man that was implanted there by Jesus Christ, when I was born again, his seed remained in me and remains in me now, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. Thank God for that. I hope you understand that. It's not really that. I don't, I don't see it as really that difficult. But a lot of people have a lot of problems with that verse. Just think what it's talking about sin and compare it with chapter 1. You're going to find out that, hey, this can't be what people are telling me. Man, I, I can understand why people get discouraged. They said you had to become sinlessly perfect because I'm sorry. I don't know anybody here that is. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Maybe if you are, you could come and tell me about that. Would you do that? You, you come and tell me that, that you haven't sinned since you've been saved. You haven't sinned in the last year. Or maybe you haven't sinned in the last hour. You come and tell me that and we'll talk about it and see. But I've never had any, I, I, I just, I know that's, that can't be. So it's got to be the new man and the new nature that God's implanted. Thank God. You should know that. You should understand that. You still have the old nature, but thank God you have the new nature which cannot and does not and will not sin. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. This Bible is written to us who are saved. Basically to us who are saved. Just small portions of it are written to the unsaved. <clears throat> to tell them they're a sinner and to tell them how to get saved. All the rest of it is written to us, we who are God's people. Thank God for that and praise God. I hope you understand that tonight. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Let's stand for prayer, please. Father, we are thankful tonight for the plain, simple admonition of the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand this passage to help us understand ourselves. That in spite of all that the devil may bring upon us and all that our flesh gives in to, there is a new person inside of us, a godly person, a person that has the nature of Christ in whom was no sin. And so, Lord, we will learn then when we do wrong to accept our responsibility, when we sin to know that it's the old flesh and the old nature, and when we do right not to boast of it, but to say that's Christ in me and give you all the glory and the praise for it. Now, Father, we pray that you'll bless us tonight. It's cold, and people have come through hard driving conditions, some barely in time to get home. Yet there might be somebody here tonight whose heart is heavy, 
<clears throat> we've heard the song that was sung. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. Oh, yes, he cares. And I pray if there's someone here tonight who has that broken heart, who is away from God, who is uncertain, unsure, that they'd come and, and pray and settle this thing with God tonight. Bless us in the invitation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.